0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast.
1: Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Good to be here back home at CTK tonight. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. You never make a wrong decision when you choose to be faithful to the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Hallelujah. Thank God for all of his blessings. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight in the name of the Lord. We're going to be going to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 as we continue our midweek series here tonight. And I just want to say it's good to be back home. Thank you for allowing us to be gone this past weekend. We were privileged to minister, amen, at a special event Uh, in rural Montana, Hardin, Montana. And there at a church right outside of Crow Nation, Cheyenne Nation, is a vibrant apostolic church. And uh, we were privileged to be there before we came here for some revival services. And it was a church service unlike any other. Amen. And uh, so it was good to be back. And we had Uh, Revival services as well as a pastoral installation and uh, honored a bishop that's retiring, church in transition. And uh, we had two people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost Friday night in that church service. Amen, just come. And uh, two baptized on Sunday as well. So God's blessed them so much. And the. church out there is growing. Great things are happening. And uh, it's a little bit smaller uh, than CTK in building size and maybe uh, people size. But in their building, they only have 95 seats packed into the sanctuary. And they have seen such revival in the last three years. Most, probably 80% of the churches, is uh, Native American. And COVID, they really suffered. COVID, COVID had a big hit on them. They lost many people. and uh, But God started sending revival, and he's been sending revival in the church there. They've been doing such faithful things. I think they started 27 years ago with about six people. And they began reaching out into the, the reservations. there, Crow Nation, Cheyenne Nation. And they have a midweek. You all only have one midweek. You ought to be thankful. They have three midweeks every week: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But it's at a different location, and the one's on Crow Nation. I have one. I'm good. I can. I don't. If I need another one, I preach too long. But you can just set it there in case. Thank you, Pastor Isaac. And uh, God is blessing them. They're having great revival. And this past Easter Sunday, I don't know how, they had 180 people in their church building. They only have 95 seats. And uh, so they had children all on the platform. They had them out in the foyer with the TV. They had, they had it all. And uh, so God's doing great things. I'm believing for greater things, amen, that God will bless that church. Amen. 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 And so it was great. Great honor to be with them. Amen. But it's always good to be back home. Thank you to everybody that covered for us in her absence. Didn't Sister Larissa do a great job Sunday? Just a dynamic message. Amen. Ministry of the word. Amen. Let's go to the word of the Lord tonight. First Corinthians chapter number 10. And we're going to continue on in our series. Amen. By the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, we're going to get through chapter number 10 and begin chapter number 11. And uh, I want God to have His way to help us. For those that uh, maybe you, you missed a little bit, we are walking through 1 Corinthians verse by verse. And this, this text is probably one of the most uh, uh, broad in scope that the apostle writes of epistles and uh, touches on so many different things and it is so relevant to us even though some of the customs and the traditions that and the issues they were dealing with were not is- are not issues that we would be dealing with today in a modern context it has relevant application to us so we want the help of the holy ghost tonight so i'm going to ask you before we get into this we're going to pray right now that the hand of the lord will be upon us would you pray with me right where you're seated dear lord we thank you tonight that we can come back into your house and your presence and that we can look at your word, God, and that your word can speak into our heart. I pray tonight that your Holy Ghost would have your way, Lord. Let your word have recourse in our hearts. I pray that you would bless God, each and every one that is here tonight, Lord, and we thank you and give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 We're in chapter 10, and if you have the uh, outline, you can throw that up there we are looking at questions that Paul has uh, been answering. And he began this passage of responding to questions that they had in chapter number eight. And so he's now going to get into uh, uh, talking about Christian liberty. And this is uh, important for us because uh, even though maybe the the issue itself isn't something that uh, uh, may apply to us, it is still very applicable in the context and the principles. So we're going through and we're looking at these principles. And in chapter 10, where we are, uh, we are dealing with the issue of meat offered to idol and it, uh, idols. And in Corinth, it was a very idolatrous town and almost all of their meat in the city would have been offered to idols. It was a religious uh, context, Which Paul's later going to say, even though the idols are nothing, there are demonic forces that are at work behind that. So you don't want to have association with. And so a lot of times those leftover offerings were then sold uh, in the marketplace. They would be served at public functions. And it is possible that you would find yourself eating these things, not really knowing. And so people are arguing. Uh, They're arguing. And some are saying, well, the idol is nothing, so I can eat whatever I want. Uh, and and Paul responds to this and says, "True," but in chapter number ten, he is dealing with, and and he's done this in chapter number nine. He's dealing with the con uh, uh, the concept in chapter number nine that your Christian charity trumps your Christian liberty, that your love for one another ought to be. Uh, more important, or I wouldn't say more important, but as equally important of an issue or focus than just whether or not I can do this thing, whether or not it's permissible or legal, let's say, before God. If something is permissible for me, but yet me doing it causes someone else harm or hindrance, or in this specific instance, it causes their conscience to be infringed upon Then Paul says, you ought to take the higher road and seek not to offend anyone. So this is where we're at. And then we get in chapter number 10, and Paul tells us, he said, be careful that you think that you are above succumbing to temptation. And he gives us the example of the Old Testament. And he talks about the Old Testament people in... uh, their idolatry in chapter 10 at the beginning, and we talked about this at length last week, their idolatry, their fornication, their uh, uh, rebellion, and their murmuring, and their complaining, and went through all of these things. Paul said all these things were our examples. And he closes out that segment there, and he says, wherefore, in verse 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth Take heed, lest he fall. So when there is, uh, how, how do we apply this? He said when there is a discrepancy or disagreement in the church or in the body, when someone has a disagreement, this is, this is so good. Do I have your attention tonight? When someone in the church has a disagreement about how we should live, something that we actually ought to do. So fill in the blank, whatever hypothetical scenario that you can think of. Someone says, it's okay for me to do this. Someone says, you can't do that. Someone else says, no, you can't do this, but you can do this. And somebody says, no, you can't do that. And so now you have disagreement in the body. You have sort of an imposition. Paul acknowledges that at times this is going to happen. And how many live in a home that has more than one person in it? Have I made myself clear? You're going to have disagreement. Not everybody's going to see things the same way. And how many know that there's going to be times where the other person that lives in your house is going to be wrong? Right? I see husbands and wives quick to raise their hand. And how many unfortunately knows the reality that much of that time it might be you that's wrong? Right? But that doesn't stop us from opening our big mouth and arguing our point and making a fool of ourselves. So this is what Paul's saying. When there's a disagreement over what we should do, rather than let your pride drive the wedge further, take heed... Because it might be you that's wrong. And the point uh, uh, at the end of the day ought not be proving yourself right. It is number one to be right before God, but also not to offend someone else. So take care of this. And he says, be careful because you can think you're so great and mighty just like Israel did, but all the while you fall back into idolatry, you fall back into murmuring, you fall back into other things. So take heed. How many knows uh, Proverbs is a powerful passage on this where he says, uh, if any thinketh he stand, or no, he said, uh, what is it? Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride. I'm going to tell you, pride is this little demon that will resurrect every day of your life. And, and, and we use that euphemism, it's a little demon, but it's it's actually we can't blame the devil for our pride. We can't blame a devil for our pride. Pride is something inside of us that rises up. That's why Paul said, I die daily. What needed to die? Well, my pride. I had to unseat myself on on the the throne of authority and say, no, God, this is yours. Because you crawl back up there. Pride will destroy so much. That's why humility is so powerful. And this is, in essence, what Paul is getting to. And then he closes out that first part of the chapter in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted... Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also may make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, we get excited about this verse, and I, I rushed through this real quick at the close of last week. We get excited about this verse because we believe the Lord's going to make a way where there is no way. And that's true, but what Paul is saying here is that just because Israel fell into idolatry and into tem- fell to temptation doesn't mean they had to fall to temptation. There is no one, this is what Paul is saying, there is no one that sins that doesn't have the option not to sin. Now, that is countercultural to our world today. Because our world today would teach that certain sins, well, they wouldn't call them sins, but certain things that we as humans do that the Bible writes as sin, well, we're just, we are bound to do them. It's a product of our genetics, we're a product of our environment. It's not our fault. And there may be contributing factors that lead to environments that produce people to live in certain ways. But what Paul is saying here is there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. That means that if I have a debilitating sin in my life, at the end of the day, when I stand before God, I'm not going to be able to blame mama, dad, my neighborhood, my culture, my world, whatever else, that I have a choice. That is what's so powerful today. That's why the world, our culture today, Christianity has been watered down because we don't like bold preaching that says, no, you are the sinner. And people mistake bold preaching that says you are the sinner. You must repent as being mean and not Paying attention to all the other things and bless their heart and all this stuff. We have a world right now that will not call sin sin, that will justify sin everywhere as the result of something else. And now the biggest argument is they were born this way. They can't help it. Right. Yeah. It's bold, it's in your face. Now I know we have some babies in here. I haven't been there this week. But Sister Kate was telling me that when you walk into Target, what's the big sign? Kate. The big sign, right? Take your kids to Target. Trans people will always exist. Well, I could have told you that. Because the Bible says all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. I could have told you that because until the Lord comes back and rights wrongs, liars will always exist. Backbiters will always exist. Murderers will always what do you say? What's your point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get nervous on me. I know it's Wednesday night here. Good, good. But the world wants to water things down, and Paul says no. No one falls prey to temptation.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: We ought now. Don't get me wrong. I know somebody's going to take it and they're going to twist it, and that's all right. They have to answer before God on how they interpret it. Somebody's going to take it and twist. Doesn't matter what you do in this world today. Somebody's going to twist your words, your words around. But the world is trying to pacify. Uh, where we're at in our culture, but sin is sin. Yeah. Amen. And until we're willing to address the rep- responsibility of sin, right. you'll never be delivered from sin. Right. As long as my... As long as my uh, sexual problem, drug addiction problem, uh, hatred problem, anger problem, depression problem, anxiety problem, as long as all those problems are somebody else's fault, I will never change. But here's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's offensive because it puts the responsibility on you and me and says, no, you are the sinner. You have to take up your cross. But here's the good news. You can take up your cross. And you can be made free. And you can be set free. And you can be delivered. And you can be changed in a moment through repentance and remission of sins. Amen. Amen. So we are putting the responsibility back on people. This is what Paul is doing. There is no, hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Now, who's he writing here? He's not writing to the world. He's writing to the church. All right. So we're in the church. How many have ever come to church and you've been offended? (laughs) How many have ever been hurt in the church? Hurt by someone in the church? I'll tell you, I've, I've lived in the church most all my life, probably... Just by virtue of being in the church all the time, mom and dad took me to church all the time, I didn't have another choice. i just around church. Here's what happens. The worst people I've ever met in the world, in the church. Yeah. The most hurt I've ever been in the world, in the church. The maddest I've ever been in the world, in the church. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: This is really good preaching tonight. I tell you, this is just, it's about as simple as it can get. But let me counter that and tell you the best people I've ever met in the world yeah. in the church. Yeah. Yeah. The greatest encouragements and strengths I've ever had in my life yeah. in the church. Yeah. The happiest I've ever been in my life around people in the church. When I'm hurting, who came around around, pick me up and help me and love me back till I was right in the church. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So I, this is what Paul is writing to the church. He's saying, Look, you that are in the church, take heed lest you fall. I would to God as a pastor that nobody here in this church would ever backslide, ever walk away, ever get so in despair and 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 and, and so hurt that they would run from the church and not darken the doors. I, I, I would to God that no one would ever succumb to certain things and turn back to sins that God delivered us from. As Paul said, like a dog going back to his vomit. But I've been around long enough to know that someone, somewhere, it's going to happen, unfortunately, and I must always remember and make sure that I'm not one of those. But if I am one of those, and if I find myself like that prodigal son in that pit of swine, if I find myself out there so bitter, so hurt, so offended, I've got to at some point stop pointing fingers and say, God, you are faithful. And you have made a way of escape. Amen. And not let the offenses that have happened to my life keep me bound and in bondage. But Lord, you're going to make a way. This is the word. Amen. Amen. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. It is a lie from the pit of hell that tells you you can't walk back through the house of into the doors of the house of God. It's a lie from the pit of hell that tells you you can't come running back to an altar. It is a lie from the pit of hell that tells you that the church will not be happy when you turn your heart and your life back to God. I'm going to tell you the people that ought to be cheering people along the way, let me hold the door open. Let me make room for you at the altar. It's all right. I don't care how how far you've fallen, how far you've run. Amen. There is room here at the house and we are all saved by grace and God is faithful. God can deliver. God can heal. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And it's it's because we believe this that, Mama, you better not stop praying for your backslidden kids. Dad, you better not quit giving up on those people. That's why you keep loving and you keep praying because you know that God is faithful. Hallelujah! Oh, hallelujah. I I pray God, send a revival of backsliders to our community and let us be a place that is ready and willing to receive them. Amen. To love them. Hallelujah. And not pacify them. And allow them just to say, oh, honey, well, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yes, things were done. Yes, things were done wrong. But God's so powerful that you can stand up and say, yes, I was done wrong, but I'm a sinner in need of prayer. And God, I need you to be my Savior, and he can lift us up out of the miry clay. Do I have anybody in here that's been delivered? Anybody that's been set free? Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Maybe something happened to you that caused you, opened up a door to certain temptations in your life, but you are not bound to that. Men and women introduced to pornography and alcoholism and drug addiction, not by their own choosing, just being in the wrong place at a wrong time at a young child and things were introduced into your life. But the reality is that even that person has to step up and say, okay, God, but I'm the sinner that needs you. And God is faithful. So this is what Paul is admonishing us. He's saying, you be careful. When you get into conflict in the church, you be careful. First of all, your pride is going to drive a wedge. Your pride is going to push out. That's why we, have, we ought to be so careful, CTK, that pride. We got we to keep our pride in check. Stay humble. Stay, stay near the cross. Take up your cross daily. By taking up your cross daily, that's not just meaning, you know, Well, I come to church and I go through the motions. No, that's crucifying yourself, your flesh, making it not about you. When it's, when it's always about me, that's ultimately where we're going in this chapter. Let's read on. All right, so Pastor Ryan's sick tonight, so Brother Clayton's going to help us. Amen. So read verse 14. we got to get through 33 in the next 17 minutes. <laughs>
0: Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry.
1: All right, here it is. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee. Run. Run as fast as you can from idolatry. Real quick, if you're taking notes, idolatry is when we make God anything he is not. That's idolatry. When we make God anything he is not. That's the original term. If you go back to the Old Testament, we, you could spend a long time, a beautiful study on that. When the children of Israel were, were idolatrous, they would make God something He was not. That's why God forbid the children of the Israel, uh, uh, children of Israel. He told them, "Do not make any image. Don't make me like any image." He literally said them. He said, "Don't make me like an image." I'm, because whatever image you're going to come up with, I'm not that. That's right. Right. Don't make me like a lion because I'm not a lion. I'm greater than the lion. Yeah. Don't make me like a bear. I'm not a bear. I'm greater than that. No, no image. Don't make me like a cow. I'm greater than a cow. Don't make me like that. Don't give me, don't give me uh, ears of one animal, a mouth of another animal, legs. Of, and, uh, you're not going to do it. You're not going to get it because my ears can hear better than anything you can imagine. I am incomparable. Right. Yeah. That's what God literally told them in Deuteronomy. I don't compare to anything that you can imagine or comprehend. So don't make me like anything. I am that I am. And when we turn God into something he's not, we make an idol. Why do we make idols? Because we justify our ways. We make an idol because we're going to justify our ways. Well, Moses is gone. He's not coming back down the mountain. Let's make an idol. Let's make an idol. So they made an idol, a golden calf, and they worshiped it. Why? Because they'd been out of Egypt for a few days, and they wanted that Egyptian cultural... That, that 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 lifestyle, and the Bible says when they created that golden calf, they took all their clothes off and they began to worship. They involved themselves in all kinds of sexual immorality around the idol, and they called it worship. They were making God something he was not to justify something they wanted to do. Idolatry. When you began to be driven by self and what you want, beware, you're making an idol. You're, you're set up to make an idol, create an idol. So we can't even do that in the church. You don't come in and art, that's why we don't argue to the disunity of the faith, because we can make an idol. All right, let's read on. So he says, flee from it. He said, run from it. Well, what's that mean? That means don't even tolerate it. Run. Don't even tolerate a little of idolatry in your heart. Run from it. All right. Read on.
0: I speak as to wise men.
1: All right. What I say. All right. This is a compliment. He says, I'm speaking. The ESV says, I speak as to sensible people. You are sensible people. You are wise people. You ought to understand this. Read on.
0: The cup of blessing, which we bless. Yes. Is it not the communion of the the blood of Christ?
1: All right. So now he's getting ready to read. He's getting ready to make a parallel, and he is referencing what What they would call communion, communion, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper that was instituted, amen, by our Lord with his disciples. Go on, read on.
0: The bread which we break, Yes, is it not the communion of the body of Christ?
1: All right. So he's asking, when we drink this, are we not partaking? When we partake in communion in the supper, are we not being partakers with Christ? That means when we drink uh, the fruit of the vine and we eat that bread, that unleavened bread, we are identifying in everything that he did, that his body was broken, that it was bruised, that his blood was shed, we are identifying, put our faith in that,
0: go on, for we being many we being are, many are one bread. Yes. And one body. Yes. For we are all partakers of that one bread.
1: All right. So when we're when we're fellowshipping with him, by virtue it makes us all
0: one. Read on. Behold, Israel after the flesh. Yes. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar?
1: Okay, so he's making an Old Testament parallel here. When they would offer sacrifices in the Old Testament, Israel. Uh, the one that offered the sacrifice, there was only one, but it was represented. All those that ate of that sacrifice were, uh, they were partakers with what was being done. They were, uh, uh, when they ate of that sacrifice, even though one was offering it, they were identifying with that what was taking place. Okay, read on.
0: What say I then? Yes. That the idol is anything? All right. Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything?
1: Okay, so he's making the parallel now. He's saying, if in the Old Testament, when one sacrificed and those that ate of it were partakers of that, then how are you boldly... This is where he's going. How are you going in... And looking at this Gentile sacrifice and saying, well, it doesn't matter. I can eat whatever, no matter if it's offered to that. Okay, read on in verse 20.
0: But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, yes. they sacrifice to devils All right, and not to God. Yes, And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils.
1: All right, so here... Here, he makes an interesting point. Now, we've been talking about this issue for a couple weeks now. I think we pretty much get the issue. But Paul says, in the Old Testament, you Jews understand that one would offer, all would eat, and they would be a partaker. They would endorse what's going on. Their faith is in God. But yet, now you want to come into Corinth, and you want to publicly eat meat you know consciously has been offered to an idol and say, but I serve God, I'm not a partaker. Remember how we talked about that? You know, people saying, I'm just here for the stake. Doesn't matter where I'm at. You know, whatever kind of thing. Doesn't have anything. Uh, He's saying no. He says, the idol is nothing. We understand that. He said, "Uh, it's nothing literally. He said, but when they are doing it, they don't know, they don't know, they believe that idol is a God. And when they are doing it, they're doing it unto that. And now you are partaking of it. He said, when you are partaking of it, literally, he said, they are sacrificing the devils and not to God. I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Why are you allowing your life to come into fellowship with devils? We don't allow people that are not of the faith, that have not been in covenant with God to partake of the Lord's Supper, to be in communion, why would you then turn around and say, no, you can't partake of communion if you're not in covenant with the Lord, been baptized, but yet I can go eat whatever I want, including a communion supper with the devil and say that it doesn't have any impact on my life. Paul said, no, that's not right. I would not, that you should have fellowship with the devils. Now, interesting note, He doesn't say the idols because he's already established and we know the idols are nothing, right? But he says, but when you do it to their supposed gods, he said they aren't offering these, they're offering them to an idol that's nothing. But when they offer them, they really are offering them to devils. Read on. What does he say?
0: He cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Yes. He cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and and the table of devils.
1: And the table of devils. So yes, he's already established previously that the idols are nothing. And idols may have no spiritual nature or power in themselves. But what Paul says is that there is a spiritual force, a satanic force, a demonic force behind that. Now, you go back and you read, you read ancient literature and you read things. You sometimes read things that will make the hair stand up on the back of your head. And you know, okay, idols are nothing. They created it. Just, it's just a calf. It's just, it's just wood. It's just stone. Today we do archaeological digs and we dig them up and we find that nothing to them. They're not answering. Daniel made fun of them. He said, they have ears, but they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have noses, but they can't smell. Did anybody see a few years ago, they discovered that the, what are the big heads? Easter Island heads. What are those idols? What are they called? Anybody know? Dum dums or whatever they would call? Something like that. You know the Easter Island heads, the massive, huge things that are. Did you know that they just, rele- they just recently discovered that they actually have full bodies? <laughs> but they had been surrounded by so much earth. Here, everybody discovered them. It was some kind of a volcanic slide came down and buried all of them up to their heads. And we come along and we discover them. Look at these old idols they have. They actually had full bodies, but there they are. They're not moving. They're stuck. God always has the last word, right? Amen. But here's what Paul is saying. When you worship that idol, sometimes there's, that opens the door for demonic influence. Everybody remember the story when Moses stands before Pharaoh and he takes his rod and he throws it down? What happens? Becomes a serpent, right? Turns into a serpent. And then what happens? Pharaoh calls his magicians, his wizards in. This is in the Bible. We're not making this up. This isn't some ancient text or some myth. The Bible actually records that the, the Egyptian uh, wizards, whatever, throw their rods down, and it says their rods become serpents also. So the Bible testifies that there is a satanic, demonic force that is at work in this world. And here's the mistake. When Janies and Jambres, which was the name of the magicians of Pharaoh, when they throw their rod down and their rod becomes a snake, they interpret that as they are worshiping the true God. Of course, we know the story. Moses' snake goes over and eats, eats theirs. He goes over he picks it up, and it turns back into a rod again. But what Paul is saying is he said there are things that have no spiritual nature. The people, but when the people worship them and they make it an idol, it opens up a realm for demons and devils, if you will, devils to begin to work. I'm in the text here. And there is a satanic force that can be at work there. Now, we're not afraid of that because, amen, uh, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But the Bible does let us know that there is a prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2 and 1, and you at he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein, look at what Paul said in Ephesians 2 and 2, he said, wherein time passed, this is why you were sinners, you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So Paul says, how in the world would you as a born-again believer, how would you then be willing to put yourself in fellowship with things that are demonic? Right. Now, I know we're not talking about eating a meat offered to idols today, but I will tell you this. There are things in our culture today that are demonic in nature. Not because the thing has any spiritual nature, but they become an open door for a satanic force in our world. Number one, I'd say this, and I've spent my life, pretty much most of my life as a musician, music. Music. Music has a whole lot of power. That's why, that's why we make sure that everybody's up here. They ought to be Holy Ghost-filled, Spirit-filled. Spirit They they ought to be crucified in the flesh, because music has a power, and and uh, it it can open up a door in there. Especially when you talk about the lyrics that we put in there. Somebody says, "Oh, it's just song and it's just music." No, you better be careful what you are allowing to be piped into your heart and into your spirit.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, that's right.
1: you don't believe me? Start taking that stuff into your home and tell me if you don't come back, start having crazy dreams. Start bringing that stuff into your household and tell me that stuff doesn't, doesn't mess with you. And so you've got to be careful. You can say, well, I, well I'm just listening. I just, I just like the music. I just like the whatever. I just like whatever. Yeah, well, that's what they were saying. I, I'm just here for the meat. But what you are doing is you are having fellowship. Make your own music, bless God. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not worth it. Not only music, but entertainment. Amen.
0: Yeah.
1: Entertainment. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: We ought to be careful.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: What what we allow, Amen. God give us conviction. Right not public conviction i'm talking about conviction when we are private and when we are alone what we are watching Amen. what we are looking at what we are partaking of online
0: yes. Yes.
1: if you have to hide if you have to delete your history and hide your screen uh-huh.
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: I, I, I would advise you get get those get those little private devices out out of the back rooms in the closets don't be putting those little devices get it out there in public set that thing smack dab in the living room and if this isn't something that we're okay with everybody seeing then maybe we maybe it's not worth a seeing not being a partaker in that you say well this this is, this is crazy pastor I don't know well I, what' I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you. People come and they're saying, Pastor, I don't, I don't know what's wrong, but all the while you're opening up a satanic force in your life and you can't figure out what's going on. This is what Paul is saying. Are you going to drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devils and you can't figure out what's going on? No, sanctify your home. Sanctify your house. Yes, yes. Do we, read verse 22.
0: Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy?
1: This is a question. Are you really going to provoke God to jealousy? God does not tolerate any other idols.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Two things will happen. And we have the, we have the template in the Old Testament. Everybody remember when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen? The Philistines take it. What do they do? They take it back to their, their camp. They're so excited because now they've got the power. They, they, they think they've got this, this, the secret ingredient to all the victory and they take it, they take it into the temple of Dagon. Does anybody remember this story? You can go back and look at it in Samuel. First Samuel, I think it is, maybe 2 Samuel. They take it, 1 Samuel. They take it and they set it in the temple of Dagon. And when they set the Ark of the Covenant there in the temple of Dagon, they wake up the next morning and what had happened? Dagon, this big idol, had fallen on his face. What do they do? Set him back up. They leave the Ark of the Covenant. They're not getting it. God does not tolerate any competition. He's going to be God all by himself or he's not going to be God at all. That's right. And so when you bring the Holy Ghost into the temple, everything else that's an idol is going to start falling down. It's not going to stand up. It's not going to work. Right.
0: That's right.
1: But in the pride, they go and they set it back up. Next morning, what happens? Not only is it falling over, but its head is broken off and its hands are broken off. And that was symbolic because they believed that when one God, one deity conquered another, it cut off the head, the mind, and it cut off the hands, the power. (laughs) And here's the Ark of the Covenant. God's trying to testify, if you really want me to come in your camp, there will be no other idol. There is no other head that can compete. There is no other power. It fell over. So much so that they couldn't even, they couldn't stand them back up. But you know what they did in their pride and their arrogance? They got rid of the Ark of the Covenant and the Bible literally says they then worshiped the threshold that Dagon stood on. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: When you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, it is it is the Spirit of God coming down and dwelling in you. God will enter in, but when He comes in, there can be no other idol. right.
0: Yeah.
1: Those idols will fall over you things. Want, you, want, you want to see chaos in your life. You come down, let God fill you with the Holy Ghost, and you try to pro- you keep all of the idols in your life propped up. You'll be a mess. And they'll come back, he said, and they'll find that temple all clean and swept up, but empty and vacant, and it'll bring seven devils worse. Because it doesn't work. You've got to have God all by yourself. And, 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 and he says, You really are going to provoke the Lord to jealousy. And then look at what he says. What's he saying in the last part of that verse?
0: Are we stronger than he?
1: Are we stronger than he? You think that you can dick? You think you are so special that you're going to be the first human that God's all of a sudden going to say, Okay, I give in? No, no. No. That's why James would say, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Resist the devil, and he will flee.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ha. i got to have God in my heart. i got to have God in my life. This can't be all about me. The moment it starts becoming about me, and that was the issue, Nobody, the, the issue, what it really comes down to was they were saying, bless God, I can eat meat. I'm not going to let anybody tell me what I can and can't do. How many have heard that before? How many have said that before? Come on. How many have said that in my own heart? My own, I'm not, nobody can tell me what to do. Paul says, well, you better be careful there. Yeah. You better be careful there. Because when it becomes all about you, he said there's a pride in there. And where pride is, there's idolatry. And where idolatry is, he says, there's, there's satanic. You're opening yourself up to satanic force. You're, going, you're stepping into a fellowship of something you don't even know about. And he's saying that's why you ought to have humility, lead with humility, and lead with love in your heart. Amen. So this, this part that we read through here, verses 14 through 22, and I didn't have it on there, but in my outline, no fellowship with devils. That's what we covered tonight. Chapter 10, verses 14 through 22, no fellowship with devils. Amen. We're going to stand together tonight. We'll come back. Amen. We didn't get very far. It's Brother Clayton's fault. <laughs> The next passage is so good, so, so good. And he goes from this this thought process, he goes into, he he transitions, and we'll see this in the next one, to where it does matter. This is the interesting thing, and I want you to catch this takeaway. They go from saying, I can do whatever I want. Paul says, no, you can't do whatever you want. You can't offend. Love has to lead. You have to have humility in your heart. And Paul steps into not only... He said, love lead. He said, it matters what you do publicly. Your public representation is so critical and important. And he's going to transition from that to say that what you do publicly has to represent the right things. What you do publicly has to honor God. And he's going to go in chapter 11. He's going to talk to everything about our posture, our, 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 Stature, our, our dress, our hair, our communion, our public giving, it matters. And we do it, we ought to stand out in the world. Amen. He's going to blow, he blows out of the water. In verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Remember, we spent some time with that. Literally, what he refutes is that concept, and we've all said this: if you can't beat him, join him. And he says, "No, you have to stand apart. You have to stand stand separate." Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the blessing that you've given us a pathway.